had like a vague interest slash belief in astrology ever since like there was like a it feels like a I don't know we've been reading the Tibetan book of the dead at the moment and it's sort of like all about transitional phases and like bar, in, you're in a bardo essentially I remember that like that summer before I went to uni I had an insanely uh, drugged up session with a good friend of uh, you know around the area that was in also in a local band and stuff but he was also like, it was a bit older than me, also played bass, but like had a much longer hair, much bigger beard and <laughs> was just a total wizard. And we did like all these drugs. And then he fucking told me all this astrology stuff with like my birth chart and everything. And it blew my fucking mind how like, <laughs> crazily accurate it was because we weren't that close. But it was just like, dude, this is uh, eerie. Yeah. Eerie. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I've been getting into it more recently because of this. There's all these apps like we've got an app called Sky Guide. So you can see what's in the sky at night which is uh super fucking useful in london where you have all these yeah. anomalous lights that appear and stuff for me a, I'm good, so... a good natal reading will will get everyone in. it's like seeing a ghost or something it's like wow yes. something yeah. definitely is going on in reality that i hadn't previously considered before because you just looked at some little dots in a circle and said my whole life yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Like, that's usually people's intro into astrology is thinking like i never thought of it before and now I can't dismiss it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. For me, it's it was like, it's cultural analysis has always been the thing that like has led me, but that I keep running into occult themes because of my <laughs> cultural analysis. So I inevitably sure. have to <laughs> excavate them and it always deepens whatever I'm doing culturally. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's well, kind so of- So I like astrology. I have this thing. It's kind of like how I could convince Richard Dawkins to go to church. <laughs> and it's because the people who go to church or temple or whatever have better health outcomes and live longer across the board. So there's like mm -hmm. a materialist reason for going to church. And presumably it has something to do with um, vagal tone exercises from singing and being in community, all that kind of stuff, right? Similarly, astrology could be 100% inaccurate as a, as a forecasting model, but still be powerfully worth your time because it's not... A predictive model it's a language that contains a predictive model so mm -hmm. i like it even if it even if there was zero correlation between how we experience planets and stars and future events it's still uh, powerfully medicinal as a language of meaning so yeah i like it big time big time and also we like to sneak attack our guests and we have started recording just so you oh, know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> welcome welcome gordon white and that was an amazing intro um this is a interview that we've wanted to do for so long you had me on your show and it was about time that the favor was returned welcome to mystic in the machine what a wonderful person to have as one of our first guests on this show as well um for those of the, for the people in our audience who may not know who you are, would you like to introduce yourself? Just give a brief sort of rundown of what you are, sure. what you do. Sure, sure, sure. So I'm Gordon, uh, born and raised in Australia, dual British citizen, lived around the world, lived in New Zealand, lived in London and Bristol and so on, uh, worked in media, worked for Discovery Channel, BBC and so on. And I am a magician and shamanic healer. So about 10, 12 years ago, 
12, 14 years ago that we do 2024. <laughs> uh, yeah, I started blogging about magic and sharing my experiences and that turned into the first couple of books and a podcast. And now I'm the host of Rune Soup and it's a members area. It's the world's largest online magical training community and it's a magical podcast. And I live on a permaculture farm in Southern Tasmania. Wow. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. I, I started off as a rune soup baby. I've been listening to rune soup for years, years and years, 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 just years um, since we graduated uni, probably. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so this is incredibly exciting. Um, I've learned so much from your show, learned so much from the wonderful guests that you've had on your show as well. Um, it's definitely it was definitely my gateway drug into a lot of different occult concepts. Hundred percent, what it's for. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Well, it does what it says on the tin. Um, no. So anyone who's not checked out Rune Soup yet, what are you fucking waiting for? Go, go do it. Go do it. Um, <laughs> um, so to start off, I guess um, the cosmogenesis of uh, of our kind of intersection um, last year, you uh, sent you introduced you introduced me to your audience on your podcast. It was a really wonderful episode. Your audience was also really kind and sweet. It was the comments were overwhelmingly just positive um, and just kind. And I felt very understood. So I hope to provide you that in return today. You sent me a bunch of your books. Um, you sent me Starships. You sent me Animistic. You also sent me your new Divination book as well, which oh, I yeah. Am yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm yet. I'm, like yes, like, I'm still working through. Uh, I'm still working through that one. Sorry, but yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. Well, you like Jung, and I'm like, I'll send. I'll send the cards to Angie because Lenormand isn't tarot, but it can. It hits some of the same. I don't know Jung nerve centers, yes. right? So yes. I figured, yeah. And major synchronicity too. Uh, I was just like, okay, I'm gonna open this now and like pull a card just to see what comes out. And the book card came up, and nice. um. The theme of the red book, uh, obviously written in the little sort of passage that you came that came along with it, also came up. So I was like, "Holy shit! What is what has Gordon done?" Like, holy! And then it came in the amazing scarlet imprint packaging, and I was like, "Is someone sending a bomb to my house?" Because I forgot that you, I forgot, and it was it was addressed to Angie Speaks as well. I was like, "Who the fuck is sending a package to Angie Speaks?" But thank you so much. It was such a pleasant surprise. Like, really, really kind of you. So for the first question I have for you is to do with um, artificial intelligence and UFOs. Um, we're obviously entering a very strange time in human history. A lot of very odd things are happening and it's sort of forcing our incredibly secular paradigm to contend with some very, very big ideas like cosmogenesis, like apocalypse, things that the secular paradigm has kind of repressed for a very long time. Um, people like us who are interested in the occult are often viewed as weirdos, as fringe, but the more artificial intelligence enters the conversation and begins to sort of drum up these really major philosophical questions. Um, the same thing with the way that UFOs are kind of entering <laughs> the mainstream question and are raising these incredibly... Um, you know, philosophical questions. People like us are now, you know, people are looking to us in a way that they never have before. Um, and some of the ideas that we're interested in are being taken a lot seriously, a lot more seriously. So my first question for you is, how do you think this is going to develop in the coming decade? Um, and have you noticed the same sort of trend? <laughs> so 
When we look at ufology, there are two broad schools of thought that have kind of like two different uh, origin stories, I suppose. Now, there's the extraterrestrial hypothesis, which is the little green men in ships showing up and probing our butts and, and destroying our cattle. And the origin story for that is very typically once we activated the first nuclear bomb, we attracted their attention. Now, you can get ETH people who don't say that, but that's like a main one. Then there's non-ETH, which is like, that's probably not Marvin the Martian. It's probably something else. And it's probably interdimensional. You can say fairies, blah, 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 right? And that origin story is more typically they've been with us the whole time. So that's mm -hmm. like the Jacques Vallée idea of, uh, well, my friend Chris Knowles calls them elusive companions. But if you look at the watches in the Bible and pre-biblical texts, there's a whole bunch of motifs that look familiar just without the mid 20th century science fiction overlay that typically comes with these things. So mm. I, I look at, we were talking about Pluto and Aquarius earlier, and one of the signifiers that other astrologers are so excited about with this um, pretty hectic uh, trend uh, or transit, to be honest, is the uh, announcement of UFOs or what have you. Like, oh, this would be the UFO era. Sure, except what if they've been here the whole time? And so what we look for is a fundamental step change in, in how we experience reality so that these things look like look a little bit closer to what maybe they are. And I think we're seeing that because uh, actually I was at the wedding of, I think, the world's best ufologist, uh, Richard Dolan, some years ago in the middle of the Australian desert. Wow. And we were having a good long chat under the stars. Um, and he was saying that for him, like he was a Cold War historian who found some top secret documents about like UFOs and so on from during the Cold War. And that began his journey in the mid nineties to what he is today, which I think is the best UFO historian. And he said, the thing about UFOs is that it's like a, it's like an initiation or, or a chapel perilous moment. You go in as a Cold War historian thinking you're on a paper trail for memos between Canadian generals or whatever. And you come and he's married, his wife is wonderful, Tracy. And you come out the other end getting married at Uluru by Catherine Austin Fitz to a remote viewer. Like, you're, you're just like in this very different world at, at that point. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Kind of think, yeah, I kind of think that's the point of UFOs. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. We, you begin the process, it can, you can be an experiencer, a little light in the sky, or just the, the, the self-evidence of us not being alone. And a couple of years later on that journey, you're, you know, you're, you're mainlining Bufo in, in northern Mexico like, <laughs> to, to clear some <laughs> impact. Like, it's, uh, it's what the journey, I think, is for. And something Whitley Strieber said that stuck with me is if he'd watched better science fiction as a child, then his experiences that became communion in the 1980s probably would have been more pleasant. Because, like, he describes them, and rightly so, as a sexual assault. Like, the, where we get this kind of joke about probing from is basically Whitley's experiences. So he was sexually assaulted by interdimensional beings, and and he's aware that had he has his had his imaginal, um, if his imaginal had different paints with which to paint, that encounter might have looked like something else. Yeah. And so for yes, me, I think that's what. That's the step change we're seeing. The, mm. the official reality that we are living through at the moment is melting like cake in the rain. And that's the other side of the process of realizing UFOs are something more than um, little green men.
Yes, um, it's so interesting that you you bring all of this up because I I just made a video on Jung's uh, flying saucers essay, and he's he's sort of not concerned with the reality and the unreality of UFOs in that sense. He's more looking at the psychic content of this phenomenon and also what it's doing to the culture. Um, yeah. And there's this really interesting religious studies professor, Dr. Diana Pasolka. Mm -hmm who I'm really into, she wrote this book called American Cosmic, and um, she's sort of been studying the phenomenon for a long time and the visionary rumors surrounding the UFO phenomenon. And one of the really interesting things she says is that it's sort of a forcing mechanism, especially in a hyper-mechanized secular culture where enchantment is lost and we have this like very sort of materialist um, perspective and we think we've like discovered everything there is to know about the universe this phenomenon <laughs> forces everybody to reckon with these really deep philosophical questions people who aren't and the people ironically one of the things Jung said in his essay is that the people who have these encounters are often the least psychically or spiritually prepared to confront the image mm -hmm. a lot of the time people like yeah. government officials or yep. random farmers um you know th people yeah. who are not necessarily known for their giant imaginations in that sense and like you said yeah, yeah I, I like that like i know diana we did a show together we sold out show at the guggenheim the first and only show about ufos um oh sick. And what she's awesome i'm like yeah oh, she's yeah. amazing oh yeah, yeah i yeah. love her she's so good so so good and um the the group around diana i i know i like the forcing mechanism thing i'm just not because they come from, an, especially in her case, like a religious background, mm. I am not as convinced that the motive is uh, not so much benign, but our development or redevelopment. It might be. I, it's, I, I just think we're dealing with phenomena. And I, this is, I'm glad you mentioned Jung because as far as I can tell, so Whitehead said this thing about Plato, which is like basically um, all of philosophy is footnotes to Plato. And I think all of ufology is footnotes to that essay. <laughs> I think yeah. Younger, <laughs> yeah. I mean, literally, every, you, if you, you read that essay and then yeah. everyone else's commentary, because I think he just got it right, um, as he yeah. usually does, particularly towards the end of his life. Yeah. And one of the better footnotes is obviously Jacques Vallée, and he cautions against, so he uses that idea of a cultural thermostat, which is a, a more morally neutral way of saying what Diana's saying, which is these phenomena are impacting our psyche and culture for their own reasons, which we interpret as good, but, you know. Well, how, I think how, <laughs> you, mentioned, we um, you mentioned Whitley Stryber before, and yeah. he was on, um, he was on a, a podcast I, I watch uh, with Jeremy Corbell and George Knapp, and mm -hmm. he basically talked about an experience that he had with his wife like in a hot tub in the back of their house where a UFO essentially appeared like uh, logs on the back of a big lorry with a, with Christmas ornaments wrapped around it. And, <laughs> and like, and he talks like a lot about like them being quite uh, mischievous. Yes, 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 yes. yes. And, uh, and um, the ability to, to manipulate our psyche and so that they can either appear or not appear or appear as, uh, as whatever. But Jung, Jung links this behavior alchemically to Mercury. Because um, Mercury, think about the behavior of the element Mercury. It's a trickster. It also moves around erratically and all of those different things. 
And the reason why I brought up the forcing function element is because obviously once you get deeper into the, U the, the Jung's flying saucer essay, he links it to the servitor mundi um, or the concept of the servitor mundi. Um, and that's, that's like deeply numinous. Yes. So my whole, my whole thing is this thing isn't, it, I don't think, it, I think it goes beyond benevolent or malevolent. I think that when you're dealing with something truly numinous, it's kind of like that. And I think that that's like the sort of mentality that it should be like approached with. It's, it's, it's like, it's like the, you know, arc of the covenant scene in Indiana, in Indiana Jones. It's like, it's like, you know, I, it's hard to explain what I'm trying to explain, but in that sense, I don't think it's it's something that's necessarily um, going to have the sort of benevolent effect on a consciousness that's not prepared to deal with it or that hasn't earned the right to to deal with it in that sense because of its right. numinous quality. Um, so what we don't right. have a shamans, right? Like uh, Whitley kind of is because the, the part of Whitley's story that uh, people only understand when they move in is that he... Uh, has been Gurdjieff trained and he's been doing Gurdjieff meditations like his whole life. So he was meditating for 20 years before the event happened to him in upstate New York. So um, that's a factor in his experiences because when we come back to what Jung said and what you brought up earlier, which is very often, however, that's not the case. And it's like some drink driving truck drivers in Omaha. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and um, that that's interesting on the level of if these phenomena are expressions of the psyche, then they experience time differently and they don't have human morality. And what I like about late stage Jung is um, he hides things that I think we can pick up that weren't in there when he says, it doesn't matter if these are physical or not. Well, by that stage of his career, like everything in the cosmos is produced by the psyche. So the definition is irrelevant. And people don't actually get that what he's saying is these are physical things coming from essentially the, the cosmic imagination because everything is a physical thing coming from the cosmic imagination and he slips it in he slips these things in there where he, you're like you, you're full wizard at this point carl aren't you and <laughs> that's why i think that's the ultimate essay because what ufology should do however you come into it is spit you out into uh philosophical positions like this invitations into mm -hmm. directions like this like that's mm -hmm at least what it's for. And it's definitely doing that to culture and coming back to, I guess, the Raiders of the Lost Ark type idea um, is there is inarguably a corrective. So I think, generally speaking, uh, I think long-lived cultures, so Aboriginal Australia and so on, which are the longest living cultures on earth, um, probably have stuff to say that we've discarded because they've managed to do things like see off entire ice ages and they're still there. And if you look at the primacy of, let's call it right relation uh, in, in indigenous cultures, when you step outside of it, uh, things get destroyed, but it's not a moral action. So uh, in, in the Andes, you have the idea that anything that's out of right relation with Pachamama will be recomposted because it's out of right relation. It's, it's like weeding. And that includes whole civilizations, right? Like that's just, if you're out of right relation in the cosmos, it's not nothing personal, we're just composting, right? Uh, and the interface between these phenomena and structures of government and business that I think are powerfully out of right relation um, 
it's going to get interesting, especially as we head into World mm. War Three, where the, the story is plainly being used as air cover, literal air cover for uh, war weapons that we're not supposed to know exist. Uh, and uh, and it's that doesn't end well for Western civilization. But hey, it's not personal. It's just compost. <laughs> Well, I guess whilst we're on the on the subject then of the of the three three legged race of the of those things of uh, World War Three AI and uh, UFO disclosure, what do you think is going to have the biggest impact on twenty twenty four? Definitely not UFO disclosure, um, oh. because you can tell a uh, a government agent is lying when his or her lips are moving. So the idea that you're going to sit around waiting for what Biden to say UFOs are real, uh, please, <laughs> King Charles Biden, um, I'm good. All right, I, I've, I've 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 reached my own position on these things. Uh, then I think, like realistically, the um, the imminence of World War Three, which is actually next year, and the timing model will be self-evident by the end of this year. So I think it'll be that. I think it'll be the the intro credits to World War Three is the thing that's going to have the the biggest impact this Fuck. year. Fuck. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, good year to get some traveling. Oh, shit. Oh, fuck. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming, really. But even when with the reason I brought up the, the Servitor Mundi forcing function is that in terms of you know Jung's concept of the the UFO disc representing the psychic totality, um, you know that now is a great time for that to come around. And yeah. obviously, the psychic totality forces us to reconcile the conscious and every the, our consciousness and everything that's been pushed into the unconscious. And in the post secular age, and in the sorry, in in the secular age, that's a lot of things. A lot of things have sort of been pushed beneath the surface, and now we're entering this like strange post secular age, where what's unconscious is sort of re-emerging. And I think that UFOs are like a big part of that, and that they are kind of here as a forcing function at this very perilous time where we're seeing rapid and you know unethical, in my opinion, technological acceleration looming world war three and now the psyche is doing a lot of weird shit um and i think yeah, and that I think people need to like understand is that the ufos are here now even if little flying saucers haven't landed on the white house lawn because they're in culture because we are talking about them, because we are yeah. thinking about them yeah. from a Jungian perspective they are already performing yeah, that function exactly. right? so um they've arrived congratulations like they're, exactly. they're here you're, you're here for the disclosure moment already because this is what the beginnings of Pluto and Aquarius look like. Exactly. And one of the really fascinating things about Jung's Flying Saucer essay is that it's hopeful in the sense that the Servitor Mundi does the forcing function thing and, you know, forces the reconciliation of opposites and all of that good stuff. But it's also terrifying in the sense that, you know, if the culture is unprepared for it, you know, it could lead to mass psychosis all sorts of things one of Jung's primary concerns was the fact that we don't have the spiritual or symbolic framework anymore to contextualize these psycho-spiritual events he also makes ties to you know 2000 years ago um the turning of the previous aeon when you know the christ archetype came and how that was the forcing function of that period um and how that had an effect on that aeon 
and he talks about how during that aeon divine intervention wasn't something that was off out of the pale it wasn't something that was you know seen as strange it was very much part of the psyche of the people who lived at that time but now we all know unconsciously the world is in peril we know we're imperiled by our technologies we know our environment is in peril we know that you know our our leaders are psychotic and insane and i think that the collective psyche is drumming up this forcing this forcing function or the servitor mundi as jung puts it in order to kind of po possibly present hope to, to us hope for this sort of quote unquote bardo state that we're in to actually have a positive outcome and that our next life cycle will be good um do, do you not see one and of better the... and and that's kind of what i'm hoping for is that we'll say, yeah. don't don't you see one of the potential kind of uh outcomes of ufo disclosure yeah sure maybe it might not be biden or king charles or something but they, it, it could be kind of you know some other kind of information that gets comes out that's just infutable or whatever um but that wouldn't have almost like a unifying nullifying against a world war three kind of thing like who's going to vote for who's going to be in favor of uh world war when we've just uncovered like essentially the one of the biggest mysteries of of human like, like nothing's <laughs> it's in the model. like it's the, the, there's money and uh money, uh, money and, control and you said like, before yeah. that something uh, you think it's like next year is the year is this like a, a written in the stars astrology type <laughs> like, uh, literally, yeah 2025 to 2027 is going to be oh, the worst years sake. of your life Fuck oh. sake, no yeah. god forbid no 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 the thing I about mean, astrology like... is like this too shall pass like the medicine of a cycle model is like this is really bad because um, bad things happen and good things happen and that's just what it is uh but then good things happen right so what a pluto transit front loads the expulsion of toxins and corruption when when pluto moved, moved into capricorn we got the 2008 financial crisis so it's exposure of um, corruption and venality in officialdom. So that's banks and government and so on. Mm -hmm. uh, Aquarius is like crowds and technology and media, also medicine um, and, and, and space and so on. So it's like tyranny of crowds, but also media and so on. Mm -hmm. And we, we, this is the, the digital ID and other kind of like weird pushes, but it, it purges toxins at the beginning so that by the time it leaves a particular sign, the sign is reconfigured because it's it's basically exactly uh, been through the accusatory process of the king of the underworld so mm -hmm. it's gonna suck uh next decade is great so if we can <laughs> if we can stick around yeah uh, until then that's that's what's in the model and the other thing that to bear in mind is that the cosmos is co-creative so we are doing this mm. but it's this is a Jungian thing again when he was asked like do you think we're gonna have nuclear war and he said it depends how many people can integrate their shadow so we're having nuclear war because not many of us have managed to do that, but we can, right? So the apocalypse can come in at an 11 out of 10, or it can come in at like a three or four out of 10. Uh, and that's that's entirely in like our hands, people who can do the, the only thing that's left to do, the only thing that's ever helped or changed anything, which is that inner transformational work. Definitely, definitely. And then the, the other thing I found really hopeful about Jung's, um, flying saucer essay is sort of the entire crux of what he's hinting at is that the collective psyche also has self-healing mechanisms yeah. um i remember i was listening to this jungian analyst talking about how when she is you know dealing with patients and they're going through the worst time of their life uh massive catastrophe divorce illness all sorts of you know shit that life throws at you and how that even when 
they're lost for words and they don't know what to say to that person. They're aware that that person has a self, capital S self. They have a thing beyond their ego that will lead them full circle. Um, Jung's, Jung's uh, talks when he was sort of, because we're reading this about in Book of the Dead at the moment. So we're obviously confronting a lot of themes to do with death and rebirth and cycles. And obviously when Jung was working with people who were dying, um, he talked about how he noticed how they would just sort of live on every day as if they weren't and how that's sort of how how you cope with things you just sort of live on um, and how when he was dealing with older patients who suffered with grief and had sort of become paralyzed by fear of death that was the advice that he would give them he would tell them to just sort of continue to to go on so I find it I find it quite hopeful this notion that the psyche your the, the personal psyche has self regulatory self-healing mechanisms but the collective psyche also has self-healing and self-regulatory mechanisms and I really think that this UFO phenomenon regardless of what it actually is going on in tangible brick and mortar matter reality I think it does have medicine within it for the collective psyche in a very big way I think this could be a very self-healing self-regulatory humbling com confrontation with the depths that is sorely and desperately needed by humanity right now in order to make us integrate our shadow make us integrate our opposites humble our technological hubris and our scientific hubris make us look to the heavens again in awe and in humility i think that would have a massive impact on on things so i think even if it is evil demonic entities that whatever the fuck i don't know what because that's what jung's saying he's saying i don't care about what's going on you know in terms of brick and mortar reality i'm talking about the psychic content of, of what's happening and i think surrounding the psychic content of what's going on now contains the seeds of the new aeon and also medicine for the maladies that are afflicting us at the moment i've got a fire alarm going off oh <laughs> some palo santo earlier and obviously haven't been monitoring because <laughs> i've been on the call so there we go <laughs> it's all good it's all good it's all good yeah but yeah 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 so yeah uh, yeah uh, collective psyche self-healing self-regulatory mechanisms what do you think of this idea definitely definitely and so i the other side of this idea that um pachamama will remove things that are not in right relation is uh in the andes you have it's like a serpent energy of, it's called Amaru, of we provide offerings to the cosmos and the, and the cosmos provides us with everything, frankly. Uh, and one way or the other, she will be fed. And if we don't feed her, she's, if we don't feed her love and kindness and offerings and dispatches and so on, she feeds on war and despair. Um, and, and that is, we're nevertheless fed that way. So we've plainly hit a moment. I think about the, the psychic medicine of UFOs, kind of just what you were saying there, Angie. And I think back to ancient Greek thought where we don't have a good metaphysics of technology. We have a very simplistic one and they did it. So this notion of techne is a, is a very specific way of, very specific mode of thought that had, that was range bound to do certain things. We don't do that. We just go, yay, technology describes and does everything. Uh, that needs correcting. So it's one of those, and one way or the other, this is kind of why I mentioned Amaru, one way or the other, we get that correction. And it's the, um, to paraphrase Tina Turner, we can do this nice or rough. 
and we're going to do it rough <laughs> is the answer. We're going to be, I like that idea of being re-humbled. It is uh, a re-awareness of the sanctity and numinosity of the cosmos. Jeff Kripal will say, encounters with God can kill you. Like yeah, if you read yeah, the Bible, yeah, you get uh -huh. turned into a pillar of salt. <laughs> salt, yeah. So, or it's, you get um, burned up. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so yeah. The, the, the sacred is not the same thing as the safe. It's never no. been that. No, it's never and been and we're in we're in that moment and the these motifs are absolutely um, handmaidens to that process. Definitely, definitely, and that that's another that's what's terrifying. That the hopeful part is, hey, there's this thing called the Servitor Mundi that like you know helps that comes about when we're, you're in peril. But the scary part and and the part that is terrifying is exactly what you said: the fact that these d encounters with divinity are humbling and ego destroying and again every single divi divine encounter that we um we have heard tales of the person who who has them is forever transformed um and and sometimes not always positively um it, it's it's a really it's a really terrifying terrifying time i find myself having to stop thinking about ufos a lot because i feel like I, i'm still very much having to manage samsara <laughs> Do you have that? Do you have times where you have to sort of take a break and just like... Well, oh, I, I did my UFO experience in the sense of I'm going to move through this one way or the other and come out the other end about a decade ago. That's the way I wrote um, Starships. So it's funny. I was on high side chats with Greg um, last week and he was asking the same question. It's like UFOs are back. Like, what do you think? And I'm like, I'm not, not that I'm not interested in them. I'm the, the medicine that they have to offer me uh, has been to some extent absorbed until they literally do show up. <laughs> like I'm, I'm off in the jungle now with like snake spirits and things. That's where I'm getting my medicine. Uh, yeah. And we're, we're dealing with like different descriptions of the same reality of relationality, right? Mm. Uh, so for me, I've been there, I've been up all night. <laughs> I can rattle off, I used to be able to rattle off the names of different experiences, different whistleblowers, stacking the evidence for this that I think is like, well, this is this is what I would tell people, what I do tell people at a barbecue when they unfortunately get stuck next to me and they have to hear all of this stuff about you. <laughs> like I've been through, I've been through all of that, but I understand exactly the the mania of that process and yeah, go with it. Yeah, I like I mean, set my, the intention I'm... for it to like bring it bring the medicine to full awareness because yeah. otherwise you'll go crazy. But of yeah, course. I know that I'm, I'm, I know that game. We, we rewatched Prometheus this Christmas because I felt led to obviously because it has Christmas themes in it. it and one Christmas scene. It has it. one Christmas. Well, I think that was done on purpose. I think Ripley Scott was like, knew what he was doing. And also it's like the whole, like, you know, cosmogenesis thing. And I also really remember relating to Shaw as a little girl when I first saw Prometheus because she was raised by a Christian father and she had faith and she, but she was also interested in this big schizo thing. Um, and then just the one, the one Christmas scene is a wink because I've, I've written, you, you can find it on the blog, a big long post about this. The entire thing is a alien Gnostic yeah. reboot of the creation story. So yeah. even the name, like John being the person who baptized Jesus and so on, like if you actually look at, what the story is it's um he's 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 running the the um the myth theme of creation of like mm -hmm. of christmas uh, he's running the myth theme of of sacred birth but making it full-blown aliens so it's yeah. the best people thought it was 
I mean, the next film was terrible. Not ter the terrible is not fair. The next film was like a two point seven out of five. But Prometheus is fan fucking tastic. It's one oh of my yeah, films. thank. I'm glad that you're a Prometheus respecter. There are not enough of us out there. I mean, no, no, no. <laughs> it's flawed. It has flaws, but I'm Prometheus like, I'm goes still like... up and down for me. Every time I watch it, I feel like, oh, that was amazing. And the next time I watch it, I'm like, wow, there was way more holes in that than I remember. All right, but so you say holes in it deep down the internet rabbit hole for that have you gone because the thing that knocked it up to five out of five for me was like is that a hole and then i go and look at what other nerds have said about it and to some extent justifying it i include myself in that list and i'm like nope it's flawless well, like her, you just haven't read the right reddit her, friends you know? no like her stomach getting ripped open and her running yeah, around I, for the whole second half of the film and all of that stuff like that's all goofy but the sort of symbolic layer of of prometheus is what i really like I know, but this, so this was a like, hole that yeah. I saw that makes that a little bit muddled, though. Is that like kind of is that they show all of these ancient cave paintings from all over the world, all pointing to this star system, and then kind of when they get to the star system, they then sort of like change the conclusion and like, oh, it's a, it's a military base, and anything they're making here, they would never make it their home star system. This is just like some sort of thing because they want to kill everybody, and it's sort of like, well, why? Why would they go and tell everybody about this thing that there's that is going to eventually come and kill them? Like that makes zero fucking sense <laughs> whatsoever. Like the, it's it's a um this the story like so one of the uh, more basic versions of like ancient aliens in the Bible is mm -hmm. uh, is a, a Sitchinite one where the gods are actually aliens that demand our worship. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's like yeah 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 you're um out of the puny humans that are here are to worship these beings but we're also just cattle like they, they seed planets so that they can grow more xenomorphs right the if you look at the 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 later films this is a really good exploration well it's a flawed inevitably but far more sophisticated than people realize exploration of techne of what i was saying before of like mm -hmm. creation and technology and so on the first films are very mary shelley um there it's it's more like a 19th century gothic almost like nature versus technology yes. it's yes, a yes. valid story but once you get once you start um basically rewriting the old testament without people noticing but using aliens you get a really really good story that's like layers of technology and creation yeah. and so on and the fact that it's planets removed so you go to a in, in prometheus you don't end up in the creation planet well, that's Neoplatonism, right? Like, so you're actually like moving through the different layers of creation to get back to the creator. Like the whole thing is, mm. is uh, it's better than people realize. So they don't go mm. to the home planet. Well, why would you? Creation is like emanations out into mm -hmm. the physical. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All this stuff that it's like, oh, you know, um, it's, it's, <laughs> if, you, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen Prometheus, like you've seen it once and you thought it was crap, Watch it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Watch the I thought it was cut, my Watch my the director's cut because yeah, the, yeah. The, the theatrical yeah. one. Theatrical one yeah, and yeah. that is also the one that's on Amazon Prime. Yeah. If you rent it, <laughs> so you might have to find it on the high seas. But yeah, my theory was that like the uh, that the engineers were sort of mad because of our you know technological hubris. Obviously, the film opens with Waylon showing off his like weird son bot David, <laughs> who's obviously he and David's like um you know the, it's, it's david is fascinating a very luciferian character for sure um but one of the more fascinating characters of prometheus because he is it's unclear as to whether he has a soul or not that's sort of what we're left to speculate in the film at the beginning 
while everybody's sleeping in cryogenesis he doesn't have to be doing anything because he's a fucking robot but he's watching lawrence of arabia and he's like you know watching people's dreams and he's playing basketball and he's doing all this stuff but then as the movie progresses his actions are soulless and calculated and psychopathic um and awful and obviously he's there to do the bidding of wayland who is this horrible tech billionaire that wants to become immortal very reminiscent of all the fucking aquarian possessed freaks well the shadow side of aquarius possessed freaks in silicon valley currently wayland is like their final form and he wants to meet these engineers obviously for the sole express purpose of gaining that immortality and you know the famous scene where he confronts the engineer and the engineer rips david's head off i sort of saw it as almost religious outrage for summoning this fallen being of techno of technological like chaos from the subatomic realms how dare you sort of thing and i thought that that was maybe why they wanted to bring the goo to earth and destroy us because their civilization sort of went in a more spiritual direction and we're like descending into matter and like you know, something like that. I, that's the, the, what the headlessness gives you the the bring me the head of John the Baptist, right? So the person who baptized Jesus, um, as in bringing the sacred into the physical, which is what the is what happens when Jesus got baptized. So you you went like David's two film arc is Lucifer, plainly mm -hmm. because he's uh, he works for God, and there's the tension in that relationship, but there's, this is just more of the motifs. It's like, okay, cool. So he's John the Baptist. What does John the Baptist do? Uh, and it's, it's, it's really powerful stuff. It, I love it. I love, I love oh, where yeah. that, yeah, I love where that goes. I have, um, cause Ridley's brother, wasn't it? Was the one who committed suicide jumping yes. off the bridge. Yes. Um, and he was in, he wasn't as far as I could tell in, but there was some, can't really talk too much about this, but, uh, kind of like UFO, I don't want to say cults, but like channeling groups in in LA that he was on the edge of that all think oh. they've had past lives together as like the Essenes and off planet and, and so on. Oh. So you, um, <clears throat> yeah, I don't know how much Ridley just is exploring stuff as a filmmaker. Cause the other thing he's doing is somehow rebooting Hollywood. Like he does his version. So Gladiator is Spartacus. Uh, Kingdom of Heaven is Lawrence of Arabia, which is in that, like, he's doing this thing where he's, like, classically rebooting yeah, Hollywood. And he I just tried to make Barry Lyndon. It didn't work, yeah. though, yeah, with yeah, uh, yeah. Napoleon. Uh, <laughs> it didn't work, and, though. <laughs> uh, so I'm not, when I look at stuff like Prometheus, I think this is more sophisticated than people realize. Oh, yeah. And I wonder, does he believe, it? not, like, literally, this is what he believes is what's in Alien, but does he think that the Bible is better understood as stories of alien encounters or is he just exploring it and I, I i can't work that out i can't work out if he's like a little bit sitchenite mm. or not i think jung would be i think Jung would be somewhat outraged by that i think he would think it was sort of vulgar trying to reduce the numinous yeah. to sort of material materialist kind of and i think that that there is that there is sort of a stint in the sort of ufo um kind of i don't want to say community because not a community people who are interested in this sort of thing or who find any kind of psycho-spiritual value in it. There is sort of a, 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 a stint of people who, you know, use it as a religious, a materialist religious paradigm, a way of reducing anything that's numinous to something that can be explained mechanically. Yeah, but then, um, then you hear people like uh, Diana Pasulka who study it to a crazy degree, and mm -hmm. she talks about 
saints that uh like she's had retranslated these accounts which are in the Vatican or whatever, which most people obviously don't have access to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the ver- that this saint basically talks a lot about like angel encounters. Yeah. But then talks about this specific like other encounter in like a totally different way mm-hmm. and like very like separates it mm-hmm, so like mm-hmm. even even like people that were saints and like were religious figures and were in commune with both either god and <laughs> seemingly are able to kind of make the distinction i think it's only kind of atheist bro mentality people that maybe exactly. like followed the ufo mm-hmm. thing which are now like yeah see it's all just fucking it's all just fucking aliens man all these fucking religious yeah, people are yeah. stupid it's sort of like no brother like there's a big difference between those things maybe there's some correlation with some events mm. but certainly not like all of the all of the bits and bobs are all just like aliens things, and so i i find i don't actually think there's that many eth people like the nuts and bolts guys in the world anymore not for like not for long you might come into it because of that but you 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 don't for long. What I'm finding at the moment, and I've, I've written about this for years, is more the non-ETH people, this is kind of to your point, will misread uh, Valet and so on as like, oh, so it's all non-physical. I'm like, no, 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 no. It invites you, it forces you into an encounter with what you think the material and the physical actually is in the first place. Like how does it, where does it come from and what is it? Mm-hmm. And we look at it as like, oh, is it all little green men or is it all fairies? Mm-hmm. And no <laughs> is the answer to that, right? And I, Diana's very good at that. Diana's very good at, uh, because it's the whole cosmos is sacred. Like it's all the one sacred enchilada, right? One way or the other. Um, the UFO phenomena, if you allow it, you can come in from a non-physical and go, oh, wait, but it's actually kind of physical because Whitley got that thing in his butt. Or you can you come at it from another direction and think it's aliens, and then all of a sudden the people who get abducted are there with historical figures and their dead grandmother. Yeah, yeah. Like, wait a minute. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think, uh, like, what, what are your kind of thoughts on, on the afterlife and kind of um, the intersection with these things? Because I, I seem to find that when you go further down the sort of non-nuts and bolts angle of the UFO thing, that you do end up encountering kind of where ghosts and spirits and sure. uh, interactions with other dimensions and all of that kind of thing uh, come into play. So do you, do you feel like uh, these things are related or uh, like you're... Yeah, uh, look, I, I'm an animist. Like the, the cosmos is a community of beings. And if you want to put ratios on it, I use the Shua ratio that all the physical creation is about 1% and the spirit world of which we are embedded is uh, 99%. So... The interface with that looks different wherever you are, but this is why you can, when you're encountering the sacred, you are um, moving into different perspectives and, or dimensions, which, and by dimension, I mean it in its technical sense. A dimension is a, a shift in perspective. It's a, a realm might be somewhere else, but a dimension is like a move of your perception so that other things appear, right? Like yeah. it's dimension. Yeah. So when you, it, you can have, my, my favorite artist in the world was a guy called Pablo Amaringo, and he was probably the best ayahuasquero Peru has produced in centuries. He served ayahuasca for the president and so on. Wow. He stopped wow. serving medicine because he got sick of all the sorcerer attacks, like they killed his son and so on. It's a, it's a Holy shit. Um, so he ended up doing non-medicine-based healing for a very long time. But he created, if you close your eyes and think of what 
ayahuasca visionary art looks like. Pablo made, like, that's his style. And I've been to his son's school, like the school that he set up that his son runs in, in the Amazon now and what have you. And if you look at his art, it is all that, like, the, um, uh, it's, it's maestros singing Icaros. It's like the, the spirits of the rivers and the trees and so on. But there are flying saucers everywhere and, and all those kind of stuff. Because you are dealing with a, to sit with a medicine is a dimensional experience, definitionally. It's not the only dimensional experience, right? So if you have a near-death encounter, sometimes people see mm -hmm. aliens. If you have an alien encounter, sometimes people see from um, the afterlife. So one of the my guilty pleasures at the moment, uh, and thank you, YouTube, trying to steal this idea from TikTok, like the For You page idea. Like the YouTube homepage gives me uh, some fun distractions when I'm trying to work. And one of them is they keep showing me NDE encounters, like people, just random people. Oh, 1971, I almost drowned in a lake, and then this happened. And... And the amount of NDE encounters that either have aliens or show different dimensions or show other planets where we live, mm -hmm. that looks very, I guess, shamanic to me. That looks very much this dimensional interface between our, our temporary experience of what we erroneously consider the physical inside the much larger true reality of, let's say, the spirit world, the psyche, or whatever, however you want to call it, right? So, yeah, I think... I went through this, the, the UFO initiatory gate and came out the other side right into the Amazon jungle. <laughs> this, is how, this is how I see things. Like that's kind of how it is. Uh, and it's, yeah. it's not the only way to do it, but that's how I frame and dimensionize, I suppose, where we are in the cosmos. Big time, big time. I am, I'm excited to see where it's going to take me as well. It's taken me to some very, very strange places. And a lot of, just as soon as I opened um, Flying Saucers, all of these crazy synchronicities started popping up. Um, we were walking, the day I, we were walking and I was like, we were walking down the canals in Camden because we live in Camden. And I was spurging to Jake about, about the book. I was just like, dude, like, just going on and on for hours and hours and I was I started to talk about the um the winged uh the winged disc and how this symbol of totality has sort of been a motif and how it's sort of linked to the UFO disc and as I said that we walked past a canal boat that had the winged disc painted on it and ever since then it's been like a series of synchronicities signs symbols um just everything everywhere <laughs> and it's almost it's almost overwhelming especially when you're still like in samsara trying to figure out how to survive and like make money and do what you need to do um but it does it does alter you um as as much as it's going to alter us on a collective level i'm really glad to hear you say that it also altered you as an individual and changed your life as well it feels almost impossible for it not to and that's what i find so frightening about it um i'm 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 just turning 30 uh, i'm just going through my saturn return i've been through quite a lot of personal change and upheavals in my personal life and now it's like the zeitgeist is also shifting in all these weird ways everything seems like in flux and i was hoping to have a soft girl 2024 but it seems like <laughs> it seems like it's just gonna get crazier and crazier and crazier. <laughs> um, yes, but forewarned is forearmed. Like the, this, yeah. the other, so the two medicines of an, of a cycle model like astrology is this two shall pass is the main one. Yeah, and the other, oh, well, three. Um, 
if you can predict it, it means it's somehow supposed to happen, which means that the universe isn't veering off course. Like it's doing what it's supposed to be doing, which I think is actually, especially as things look terrible. It's like, okay, well, someone's, like something's happening somewhere. <laughs> like yeah, someone's, exactly. someone's looking at the map while we drive, right? Exactly. Um, but the, the third one, is I suppose where that uh, that meaning no forewarned is forearmed right so like oh do this there's the things I want to do how do <laughs> let's let's see where these things meet for the premium members of Rune Soup this year we're using the uh, the metaphor of the momentum tunnel which is part of my shamanic healing teachings where the likely and it's usually used in uh, when clients are going on a health journey so that the the likely outcome I think a diagnosis is a curse of, of a health journey is all these different futures, the most probable ones stretching out from your chest in front of you, the least possible ones are the ones that peel off to the side, right? And so uh, these are the ones that have like uh, complete remission and reversal and so on. And the way you hit those low probability timelines, I guess, is uh, to understand the physics of it. So you drop mass, like weight, and you slow down. My teacher Alberto says, it's like if you're driving 100 miles an hour in a pickup, with all your white goods in the back and you need to make a left turn. So, well, the truck and the white goods are gonna keep going, right? So um, you need to slow down and potentially move the mass or so on. And that's like how, that's the, the overarching metaphor we're taking into this year from a magical and tactical perspective is the momentum tunnel stretching out in front of us literally leads through World War Three. So <laughs> what does it look like in my, specific circumstances to peel off into more beneficial versions of the story that the world is telling at the moment. Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. uh, and that's, that's the other medicine. Like you wanted a soft girl 2024. It's probably not in the cards. Look again and be like, okay, cool. Well, if the world's going in this direction, how do I, where do I no negotiate my points of consent and departure with what the world needs to do? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, definitely and that's I think that that's definitely the the energy that everyone should be doing yeah. moving forward is how you can use what's going on to align yourself with the good stories that are happening right now whether it be in your interpersonal relationships in your communities whatever it is you can do to be part of the good I feel like the negative forces get fed a lot and not enough people are invoking the positive forces um, <laughs> not enough people are invoking those positive forces and there is a lot of that that you can and, and like I, Robert Anton Wilson talks about this concept of the network of love um, that I find really compelling and one of the things that I've experienced in the last couple of years um, has been a sort of through surrendering to the energy of love a connection to the network of love and connections to random people random opportunities, random things flowing into my life um, that have allowed my, not only me to expand the parameters of my being, but for me to also interact with other people and help expand them as well. So I feel like there are all sorts of opportunities now to expand and to be of service. Um, and I feel like that's where people's energies should be focused. There's a lot to catastrophize about, but <laughs> there's also a lot of work to do as well. <laughs> one, one of my intellectual heroes is Charles Eisenstein. And the, the, world, the, the world war situation we're going through is better framed as the end 
of the previous Earth triplicity, which ended a couple of years ago, and the beginning of the air triplicity. This is more astrology stuff, but I'll explain it in a minute, which is we are coming out of organizing power on the basis of Earth, which is empires and maps and so on, where we finished that 300-year story. We're moving into organizing at the level of air. That's So the UFO arc for me isn't Pluto and Aquarius. It's the 300-year uh, air triplicity that we're going through. But it's also organizing power at the level of air. So that's in the short term and the negative, the digital currency, ID, passport crap that we're about to go through but not in 300 years time, right? Like that's the beginning of how we organize togetherness and so on. Mm-hmm. One of the things that happens in this process, uh, and Charles calls it the more beautiful world our hearts know is possible. Like the thing that comes after this necessary and painful sloughing off, this necessary and painful birth, is a world where we, we don't only value things on terms of their mass or their bigness. So. Um, activism only works if 100,000 people march and a law is changed to blah, blah, blah. It's like that's not what it's for in the new world. Mm-hmm. What it's for in the new world, coming back to the network of love, I would say is operating at the level of the field. Like, yeah. you, like literally the thinking we need to leave behind is the thinking that operating at the level of the field, offering gratitude for just an apple and 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 thanks to the world and so on, is ineffectual because it's small. There is no small at the level of the field, right? And so this, and you can get to it here. I'm going to add this. You can get to it via UFOs because if you're listening along going like, okay, cool, UFOs aren't just bracket little green men. They're also a term we use for things that were previously called angels and so on. Well, that means angels are real. That means we're we're, we're playing a game of beings. Uh, and so if angels are real, then that interfaces somehow with things like prayer and intentionality mm-hmm. and gratitude mm-hmm. as real things. So mm-hmm. you can you can get to um, literally whoever's listening to this can contribute to mm-hmm. the new and better world our hearts yes. know is possible yes. by dropping this idea of physical mass-based value and moving into this field-based gratitude network of love approach. Yeah, big time. And it's so de- and that's one of the promises of the age of Aquarius even though we might not see yeah. it right now with like all the division right now is harmony and understanding among brethren and friendship. And I feel like as the spiritual reality becomes more evident to people, we're going to be able to gather around it a lot more. Um I think part of what makes community difficult around spirituality is the fact that we've traditionally had to go through third parties and i feel like as the spiritual reality becomes more self-evident and people could really see it for themselves and gain access to it themselves there'll be no need for those positions that have you know yielded exploitation and interpersonal dysfunction we can have community around spiritual because everybody can have access and everybody can see and everybody can understand what's going on and I'm seeing it now especially we haven't really talked about AI much but I want to bring up AI before we close out Um, one of the things that I found the most fascinating about this period is that a lot of the Silicon Valley nerds are sort of revealing the occult kind of matrix that has you know that the sort of occult what they view as the sort of occult matrix behind their technological uh, feats and um, they sort of see it as the apotheosis of man, all of these sort of big ideas. They even think that they're gaining insight into the cosmogenesis of, co- of consciousness um, through the work they're doing. They sort of see themselves as these kinds of 
of techno wizards in that sense. And, um, you know, AI is definitely something that's bringing these philosophical questions to the forefront, very much in the same way that UFOs are. Um, and I guess my our, our one of our final questions for you is, how do you think this is going to develop um, in the next decade? Obviously, I'm quite skeptical about AI. Um, I don't think that it's avoidable, unfortunately. Sure. And I, I'm not, I don't necessarily think it's it's negative in and of itself. I'm skeptical of the the um those who are behind its development and their aims mm -hmm. and their ethos. The effective altruists. Yeah, the effective altruists. Um so yeah, I wonder I wonder what you think and, and where you think this is all headed. So I, I I look at it with much longer timelines. I did a I suppose it's last year now because it was 23. Uh, I did a series of solo shows on the podcast about AI, uh, and I had two problems with it. People focus on the word intelligence and, and rightly point out that to some extent, the people, the most spectrumy people we have, which are the Silicon Valley boffins, are the ones trying to build something that most looks like a human personality. So that's wacky, um, but also <laughs> artificial, artifice. Um, this comes back to that idea of, well, the cosmos for me is a community of beings. What's real and what's fake? Like where we divide between nature and human is an idiotic uh, and, and recent invention. So what counts as artificial in a living cosmos? So I have two problems with this one name. I, and not problems as much as I would like to highlight that it contains the word artifice and intelligence, right? So uh, a, a fascinating I don't know, person, being that has been of interest to me the last couple of years is a I call him the Argentinian Edgar Casey. He's a guy called Matias de Stefano. And he claims to remember all his past lives. And he sings in Atlantean and so on. And this all sounds like, okay. Uh, but listen to him sing in Atlantean. And it's it comes back to the, hmm, something's going on. Something's behind that. I don't know what's going on there. I don't know if he remembers his Atlantean past lives. But there's something about that that has the ring of a genuine lived experience or memory. And he was on ayahuasca last year uh, and was talking to ayahuasca about artificial intelligence. And she said, now you have awakened the silica. Now you can speak with mountains. So what we have done from an animist perspective is begun a multi-century process of improving technological-based communication with a whole other aspect of the cosmos, which would be, let's say, the mineral kingdom, of which we are composed. That was the other part of this, this makeup, right? It's like the, your physical bodies are made of chemicals, which are minerals. So you are beginning a multi-century process of opening up communication at the level of the mineral kingdom. Hmm. That I'm not seeing discussed anywhere in like the what's going to happen in a, like, like what should I be using mid-journey or Dali to make my like that where we are at, at the beginning of this process is just where we are and, and it looks how to say this uh it looks almost benign but kind of like cute like like watching a to toddler wear her mother's clothing like oh you guys are all thinking about AI here in the first few years but there's this multi-century uh process of development of the cosmos wanting to deeming the time has come to do something new or different, which is that silica awakening. So for me, I have like a longer timeline for AI. In the short term, it's going to be that thing that mobile phones were and the internet was before that simultaneously irritating and convenient. So you're like, you're already noticing and you jump onto eBay and, and this is just a sad indictment of how humans work, right? Uh, 
the automated responses for most of your interactions with humans are 99% accurate because your reactions or your interactions with 99% of humans are highly, highly predictable, right? So there's just going to be a removal of friction in that sense where a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, I, I work and my Spanish is not great. Uh, I communicate internationally a lot with people for my books and my show and so on. There are some really convenient things in the short term that I'm going to enjoy, like the the automatic uh, voice translation into other languages and things, which is available now, but like a bit annoying. End of this year, that will be embedded in Skype and Zoom and, and all the rest of it and, and be lossless and 99.8% accurate. So like you, like we're doing it. Ladies yeah. and gentlemen, we're doing it. Like we did mobile phones, <laughs> did the internet. Find your points of consent and departure. But am I worried that AI is going to become self-aware and kill us all? No, we're doing a good enough job of that ourselves. Well, I, I guess I'm, what I'm talking about more so is techno-capital and uh, sort yeah, of the enough. acceleration of techno-capital um, and how AI is sort of playing a role in that, like the technology itself, like whatever, more so the fact that there aren't ethical look at like let's let's look at social media for instance something as so, somewhat benign as like our increased connectivity through the internet look at how that's eroded the social domain look at all the pernicious conventions that have sort of been used to keep our attention extract profit from us all of these different avenues and ai allows techno capital to colonize further territory within our beings things like outsourcing certain faculties. Um, I am interested to know what kind of effect that is going to have on culture, what kind of effect it's going to have on human nature, and also the acceleration of these processes without any sort of pause to stop and think about the considerations and also think about how technology has affected us so far. I mean, if you look at something as catastrophic as the iPad, ba the iPad baby phenomenon, a lot of the iPad children are growing up and are riddled with pathology because of their overexposure to trash content from an early age and also content that shaped elements of their psyche, elements of their sexuality have been warped by things that they weren't meant to see. Um, thinking that this is, these are all the results of our technological acceleration, our technological hubris. And the reason I'm, you know, obviously skeptical and about AI is because I think it's going to be that on acid. Um, I think it's going to have a very deleterious effect, not only on culture, but on human nature. I, as much as I also think it could it could yield very positive things in terms of convenience and new feats of, you know, creative inspiration, blah, blah, blah. I think it's twofold in the same way that UFOs are twofold when you're dealing with something incredibly powerful um you know you're you you have to approach it with a certain amount of reverence it's another arc of the covenant situation i think um sure um so the the process that was made public and kicked into gear in i don't know march of 2020 is going is a building out of a digital control grid or trap um and most people are too stupid to realize it um but the, this is the year where the trap springs and that's the if you look at the uh, larry summers showing up on the board of open ai after the whole effective yes. altruism was, yeah, crap. Yeah, yeah. so so he's a former i think he's still on the board but former new york fed board member so 
what people want from AI is the intelligence for their programmable currency. So it's like, well, you, you're five pounds overweight. You can't have that candy bar. You can't buy meat this month. Uh, the the um, eat the bugs, you will learn nothing and be happy is going to be delivered via this. I don't want to call it a currency, but because it's not, it's a control grid, but a, a AI backed digital currency that's tied to social compliance, which will include things like passports and injections and so on. That's the plan. Yeah. Um, I've known that and I've been saying that forever as it continues to build out. They spring that trap this year and next year. And that is more than World War III, what brings down Western civilization. Because this is when people will finally waddle up off their couch, get their sticks and head out into the street. Because this process comes with, and they've said all of this, we're gonna kill your pets. They eat too much meat. We're gonna do all this kind of stuff. And we've just sat there like morons um, whilst that's uh, being rolled out. Mm. So I'm not too worried in the medium term about this because the process of its implementation is unavoidable now because we were too stupid to intervene before they spring the trap. But springing the trap brings down most world governments, genuinely, <laughs> as we move through this decade. So, like, these will be the worst few years of your life. But when we come back for the rebuild for, like, next decade, it's like, well, I'll tell you what we won't do this time when we're, <laughs> when we're actually building methods of, because there's in theory, nothing wrong with the digital currency. In fact, it's quite good because it, it, it should empower local areas uh, to make sure that wealth stays in certain areas and not extracted to shareholders and so on. The promise of a digital currency is quite good. It's being implemented by the same psychopaths who were running the previous world. Uh, so we're, we're basically at the blow off top of this mania. The iPad baby is a good example. Uh, because what we have now is TikTok Zoomers, right? And this is all the one thing. This is all the one iconic singularity moment. It is, it is the, the completion of the demiurgic, iconic Tower of Babel idea, Jurassic Park idea, that if I just have full, absolute control and the best possible managers are put involved, I will generate paradise on earth. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's this idea that is... Uh, it's antichrist. It's the antichrist as you. It is, it. and and we're in that moment now. It, it, it doesn't win. It never wins. We all, <laughs> well, but it goes. It goes yeah. far enough for the hoi polloi to work out that this yeah. is the game. This is the game. Well, that, that's that's yeah. the thing because another book I read before reading. I should stop reading you. I have a feeling that reading Ion is what made Jordan Peterson go loopy. <laughs> but when I read when I read when I read Ion. Um, and Jung sort of started to talk about the Antichrist um, and sort of the archetype of the Antichrist and what this sort of Aquarian struggle is all about. It kind of all clicked for me. And, and I think that artificial intelligence has, and also this sort of ethos behind the current sort of push for artificial intelligence is definitely the art Antichrist archetype, like incarnate. It, it really, def de it, 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 it aligned, it yeah. Yeah, this yeah. is what it means. The, the Antichrist is incarnate now, and it's not yeah. Bill Gates. It's this no. system. Like people are expecting it to show up as some, I don't know, creepy little kid from the Omen or whatever. No, no, no. It's yeah. this. Yeah. It's digital yeah, yeah. currency. And that's kind of the theme of, I guess, the episode that we're on, right? That we're doing right now is obviously the the whole shebang, the whole zeitgeist is brought about questions of cosmogenesis and origins, but also apocalypse. And that's kind of the en the energy that's in the, the archetype that's asserting itself in the collective psyche right now, is um is the apocalypse. I don't know if you've seen the series um, Neon Genesis Evangelion. Um, 
if you haven't, you should. <laughs> but again, it's uh, it's it sort of feels like this very um, apocalyptic moment in human. And this has happened, obviously, the turn of the last millennium. People were seeing visions in Jerusalem and all sorts of crazy shit was going down and the world was Im imminent end of blah, blah, blah. This happens. It's happened before. Is this part of the retreating uh, to a farm in Tanzania? Is this yeah, like, is this is, part is, of it? <laughs> is this your version of Is this of your Zuckerberg version? Tanzania, Tanzania. Is this um, you getting so on the current but, but, of beneficial energies? <laughs> I know. So like I, when I was living in London, I woke up, this years ago now, I guess five, six years ago. Uh, and I woke up and I said to my partner, I'm like, I think we end up owning a permaculture farm in Southern Tasmania. And that was a big change from living in Chiswick and working at director level at timeout and so on. It was a big change. Mm -hmm. um, wow. And it happened. So it was a, a dream update. And I, you sort of get down here and go, all right, now what? <laughs> and then a bunch of other stuff happened, including like, yes, this is quite a good place to ride out what I can consider the, new, the Northern Hemisphere's nuclear war that happens in 27, 26. It's like, okay, this turned out to be all right. I didn't see any of that coming. It was just like, go and get a farm, right? Um, so to some extent, yes, but also um, I used to joke when I moved down here because people are like, what are you planning for the apocalypse? I'm like, maybe, but actually I like living down here. Like, I like not growing that much food at the moment, but we have chickens and vegetables and we've got an apple orchard that we put in. It's like, I, I actually would live this way <laughs> yeah. anyway. Um, and so, yes, it's it's a bit of a joke. It's like this turned out to be one of those dream messages. I'm a little bit happy I, uh, I listened to. Definitely. <laughs> Should we be like, but because we're in London right now, which seems to be one of the epicenters of like the dark orb energy that's sure. haunting the planet currently. And it's obviously getting more and more um, the energy in cities in general, because we obviously traveled a lot in the last couple of years and have been to quite a few different cities. And the energy in cities in general is getting unmanageable, more hostile, more hostile. People are also less. People are more willing to fly off the handle than I've ever seen before in just like oh, regular amazing, isn't it? It's yeah. So I noticed, I noticed that in airports now. Um, yeah. My my sister lived. She's Australian as well, obviously, but she lived in France for the last twenty years. She's like an older sister, and uh, so hasn't been moved back with her family a couple of years ago, eighteen months ago, and she was in the Qantas club in the airport, and she's like, "I've been away almost twenty years. Australians are awful, and we never used to be." And I'm like, "Yeah." That's they live rurally in France. Like that's everywhere. Everyone's awful. <laughs> Everyone's awful now because we know that something is wrong. We are lied to and gaslit about everything, and mm -hmm. we're being forced into a whole bunch of stuff that we didn't agree to, war, etc. Mm -hmm. But we don't because we're morons. Um, don't mm -hmm. have the the language to articulate it. So everyone is literally a toddler. That's why toddlers have those tantrums. It's because their feels don't match their words. And that's where we are. <laughs> that's what this is. So to answer your question, yes. Um, no, it, I get this a lot because I've been quite accurate with these predictions over the years. Um, the most important thing is we head into literal World War Three and a bunch of other terrible things that we have to get through to get to the good stuff is be okay with dying. And what I mean by that is like, are you living a life that you are happy to die in? And if not, that's what you change. Don't necessarily change your location. Now, um, cities like London will get the Kinzhal missile treatment much more than, say, southern Tasmania. Uh, but I can die of plenty of stuff. We got sharks and snakes, <laughs> whatever, everywhere, right? Um, so 
be okay. Make sure you are living a life that you can die in. That is the true medicine of an apocalypse. And let that decide how, like surviving through the hell of it is not the right energy. Um, it's how do I want to live? Where am I most useful to the highest good? That's a prayer. Like, may I be put to good use? Uh, and and let that guide you yeah definitely definitely I feel like a lot of Londoners are and not just Londoners people in all sorts of cities mm -hmm. especially people who are like have lived there for a long time are definitely having that conversation with themselves right now especially as the world gets more edgy and cities feel and I mean I meant for the first time in terms of the first time in my lifetime are starting to feel like incredibly deeply hostile places um yeah, I, I guess. I guess. Um, what do you have any more questions, Jake? I think you have two more questions on. No, that was it. That was my prepper question. That was your prepper question. Yeah, <laughs> your prepper question. How seriously should we? Be like, but I, I want to answer right that. Like, don't don't prep. Step now into the world that you want to see coming. Like, mm -hmm. it's not. Don't prep to survive. It's the wrong energy. It's it's like yeah. forcing things on willpower. Step now and create that more beautiful world our hearts know is possible. It looks very similar, right? But it's not. It's a different energy. It's like no. I'm just gonna, you know, get to know my neighbors, farmers markets, resource swap, all that kind of stuff. I'm just gonna do it. I'm just gonna live that life now. That's. But you said prepping in a joking way, but it's important to make the distinction. Like prepping right. is an energy of fear and division. It's like, I'm going to live in my bunker um, eating beans while the rest of the world dies. And then I'm going to come out. And then what? Go to Euro Disney. Like, what are you doing at that point? Right? Yeah. Um, no, you're uh, you're closer to Waldenism, which is what I'm just jealous, man. That's, yes. that's all it is. <laughs> <laughs> Jake's, Jake's tra been trying to push Waldenism for, <laughs> for the last year. But yeah, that's... that's like, it kind of is because, like, I'm on a farm, but I can walk into... Because the Walden thing, I'm not going to call it fake, but he wasn't <laughs> as deep into the wilderness as people think he was, right? Yeah. yeah. And neither am I. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm on the edge of, like, a very small town, it must be said. But I can yeah. walk. It's like a 15-minute walk into a town. So I say I'm on a farm in southern Tasmania. I'm at the edge of a town. This is my, this is my pond. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. That's awesome. That's so cool. Oh, the the Tom Bombadil we'll, we'll dream. We'll find our pond. Don't we'll, worry. We'll find our pond. Exactly. <laughs> we'll find our pond. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Gordon. It's been so delightful to talk to you, especially at a time like this in the world. Um, we hope to have you on again. This has been such a great conversation. Before we close out, please tell people where to find you, and also plug, 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 plug. So runesoup.com is everything. Uh, you'll find the podcast there and so on. I'm kind of on X. Uh, I was last year, probably still am now. I'm just maybe taking the summers off. Runesoup.com is where you can get everything. The, the premium member course for this quarter is on prayer. So if you're keen to upskill in prayer and, and, and get some skills and history and context around it, that's what we're doing. But in the members area, there's tarot and journeying and, and all the rest of it. But most of the stuff is free. The, the show is always free, et cetera, et cetera. But that's where I am. Amazing. Thank you so much. And we shall catch you later. Goodbye. Thanks, mate. Bye. Thank you so much. See you.